Well, we are going to be in Mark chapter 12, where we left off back in November. And so if you have your Bibles or you want to jump in with me at the summitstl.info, you can follow along there. We have everything. You can click on the card that says sermon notes. And I'm going to start in verse 28 of chapter 12. Let me read our passage for us. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. One thing I love about the beginning of the year, or really the end of the year, is I love top 10 lists. I love how people think through the past year and they make you know, the top 10 movies of the year, the top 10 songs of the year, the top 10 books of the year. Maybe you're like me in just the enjoyment of these lists. My family gets a little frustrated with me because I'm always asking like, what's your favorite? What's the greatest? And they're like, why do we always have to say what the greatest is? Why can't it just be what it is? But that's what I do at the end of the year. I like to reflect on what are the greatest things that I did this past year? What was the greatest books that I read, the greatest movies that I saw, and so on and so forth. It's, I did a little research on this. It's, uh, there are people that have studied our intrigue with the greatest things. There are actually studies out there about this, that there's, we're, there's a reason why we're interested in what is the greatest. Some of it's curiosity, some of it's for motivation, and then some of it has to do with significance, that it somehow brings us significance to know what is the greatest. In our passage today, one of the teachers of the law comes to Jesus, and he's curious like I'm curious about what is the most important, what is the greatest. And you know why? Well, the Pharisees and all the teachers of that day, they in time had created over 613 laws that people were supposed to follow. And you can see that in his humility, and I actually believe he's, he's actually coming in all, we, we often talk about the way people come to try to catch Jesus. I think there's a sincerity in his question here. He's coming to Jesus and he's saying, what is the greatest thing? What is it that we should do? What is it that we should give our life to? And maybe he was just curious or looking for motivation, or maybe there was something about 
his significance that was causing him to engage Jesus and ask for clarity in the list of this 613, what is he supposed to do and be focused on? And so this teacher, having watched Jesus, asks not a trick question, but a sincere question and says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, the most important commandment? And do you know what is really the craziest thing about this passage? Jesus answers him. I know it's been a little while since we've been in Mark, but if you remember all of the last several conversations that Jesus has had with people, whenever anyone asked him a question, he totally sidesteps it. Like he totally turns it on them. If you'll remember, they just before this asked him about marriage, he totally turned it back on them. He asked that they asked him about his authority, he totally turns it on them and what they're thinking about. I mean, every time someone asks Jesus a question, he's like, let me ask you a question. This time, the one time, Jesus goes, I'll answer that question. And he says, I will tell you what the answer to this question is. Very simply, he says to them, here's the greatest. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I'm curious, how often do you think that is the most important thing? The most important call on our lives as Christians is to love God. I read a book last year, late in the year, and the author was addressing this idea and issue of loving God. And he was reflecting on how he had never had a class in seminary on loving God, which I connected with. Classes on preaching, check. Classes on organizing the church, check. Classes on counseling, check. Classes on sin, yeah, whole semester on sin, check. End times, check. Leadership, check. But interestingly, at least not explicitly, a class on loving God and loving others. Just join me, if you would, on reflecting on this for just a minute. I think a lot of you are like me, and you like knowing the greatest things. And I would venture to say that many of us, even though we've been several days here into 2024, have thought through what is the greatest thing that we want to do or be a part of in 2024. And listen, I'm not here to bash New Year's resolutions. I've told you before, I like them. It it helps me sometimes to have a reset in my life. And I would venture to say that many of us thought about reading more, saving more, giving more, working out more, eating differently, that we've had lots of different things that we put on our list about what we want to do this year in 2024. And I'm curious how many of us put on the top of our list, love God. Jesus breaks into our world to offer life in the fullest to all who believe. And here 
He makes it so simple. He answers the question with utter simplicity and bluntness. Love God, love people. We've been in a series on Mark for over a year, and we're going to wrap things up this Easter. And I have to confess, maybe it is just coincidence. I'm not really that great of a planner. (laughs) Maybe it was providence. But as we start 2024, is this not a more apropos call for us to wrestle with? I've been thinking about this for several weeks, and I just want to slow down and steep in this today. When you drive home in your cars, the answer to the question, what did Brian talk about today, will be simple. (laughs) He talked about loving God. And I felt whatever the word there is, strong enough to actually tweak the plan a little bit because there's so much to unpack. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and the second greatest commandment is to love others. And so what I'm going to do is actually just really hone in on loving God today and then next week I'm going to tweak it and we're just going to talk about loving others. So just so you know what's coming, this is part one, part two, so you have to come back next week. But today, let's just reflect on this question, what it means to love God. So we're going to start with what's interesting here about how the question comes in light of this scribe's question to Jesus about the law. How love and the law go together. For centuries, Israel has prayed two times a day a prayer or a statement what is referred to as the Shema. Everyone say Shema. Shema. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the commandment that supersedes everything and is the commandment everyone should obey? He actually here quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, and I want actually us to read it together. So I'm going to put it on the screen here. Let's all say the Shema, this prayer together. Let's do it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's the Shema. Why is it called the Shema? Well, Shema here, that very first word, is the Hebrew word Shema. So that's why they call it that. And that word, what it means to hear It means to allow these words to sink in, to provide understanding, to generate a response, that there's there's an action call here. Hearing and doing are the same in Hebrew. It's something we could actually learn from because we're pretty good at hearing about and thinking about, but oftentimes we separate that from the doing. And so The Israelites, what they would do is twice a day, every morning, every night, they would say the Shema. And there would be this call and this challenge to actually ponder and think about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. It's interesting, later on in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, 
Deuteronomy is really Moses preaching a bunch of sermons about the law and what it means to follow God and obey him and what he's called them to. And he has what I think is a deeper explanation of what it means to love God. And so he says in verses 12 and 13, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And he gives, I want you to hear five words here and there's one important one in the middle. He says, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God and with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. If you see there's actually something really interesting that Moses is doing as he's saying this. This verse shows that fearing, walking, serving, and keeping are all centered around the word love. So love here is in the middle, and basically what he's trying to say is what it looks like, what it means to love God is to fear, walk, serve, keep, and be centered around what God is calling us to do. And if I'm not doing these things, then I'm actually not loving God. So Jesus is doing something here really important in his response. And, and I think this is going to help us a little bit because oftentimes when we think about loving God, we, we can in some ways, I don't know, maybe if you're like me, we often put that in its own category and we separate it from the law. But remember what's happening here is that Jesus is actually answering this question in light of a question about the laws. So for him, there's some connection here, and I would suggest to you this, that what Jesus is telling us is that the law is fulfilled by love, not replaced by love. Hear that again. The law is fulfilled by love, not replaced by love. So we don't keep the law so God will love us, and we don't kill the law because love is all that matters. So we don't just keep the law, we don't elevate the law to something that it's not in hopes that God will love us, and we don't kill the law because love is all that matters. It's out of our love, the law will actually be fulfilled. As we love God, the law becomes fulfilled, or love is really what the law is all about. In the Ten Commandments, you can easily break down the Ten Commandments in Exodus, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but you can easily break them down into four and six laws. The first four laws are about loving God, and the last six, or five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, are about loving others. So if we're talking today about loving God, if you take the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, it's stated in the negative, but what God wants for us to see here is he's, he's saying that if you love me and love me alone, then you will be fulfilling the law. The commandments, they help us. They show us what love is. God is saying if you want to have a full life, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be happy, if you want to have your life to have meaning, then love me. And when I'm loving God, the law will be fulfilled. The reason why Jesus, what he's saying is so profound is because he wants us to understand the importance of the law and God's word and what he teaches us and calls us to. I think we tend to think that the law and love don't always go together, but Jesus is saying love is what every single law is really about. Every law is about 
loving God and loving others. Let me apply this if I can. To love the game of baseball, the rules help us to love it. I actually looked up what is the greatest rule in baseball. Now, it's subjective, so go with me on this just a little bit. But what I found was that what some people argue the greatest rule is is the three-strike rule. That if you don't have three strikes, the pace, the rhythm, and the overall structure of the game gets thrown out. That rule, the reason why we like the rule or we follow the rule is because it helps us to love the game more. And if we just didn't want that rule, then we couldn't love the game. It is our unbelieving culture that suggests we can love God without following his laws. It's like saying, I love my doctor, but don't intend to follow their advice. Or saying, I love my auto mechanic, but I'm not going to do what they say. Love and law go together. Now, we have to be careful because if we get them disorganized, then it causes a problem. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus is telling us that love and law go together, but we can't mix it up. He doesn't want us to be too conservative and think too highly of the law, and he doesn't want us to be too liberal and think that the law doesn't matter at all. And the way to be in the right place is to see God's commands as a blessing and a help, to see them in a positive way, as a motivation for us to learn and express our love for God. To be curious about his commands is to have a love for God that transcends all other loves. So, the question to us this morning is, is that true for us? Is the greatest thing for us, is our greatest longing and desire to love God, and do we then acknowledge and admit that his laws help us in expressing that love towards him? What would that look like for you and for me this year? What does it look like to love God like that? Well, Jesus says it, and it's in the Shema. It means loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so let's unpack that just for a second if we can. What does it look like practically to love God like that? Well, for me, I can get confused. I think it oftentimes is about what I have to do, what I'm supposed to do. So God, what do you want me to do? And I'll think that is my love expression for you. What is my duty? What is my responsibility? What rules am I supposed to follow? But what Jesus is actually saying is that our duty is to delight in God. Our responsibility is to relish or enjoy God. We often think that what our duty is, is to do the right things. But what, what Jesus is saying here is that our greatest duty is to love God. That's what our greatest responsibility is. That's what our greatest joy is. It's to be to express and find all that we can in God alone. We're to love God, delight in God, relish in God with all of our beings, 
our acknowledge our exist our knowledge our existence everything that we are is to love God with action and obedience and faithfulness that's why Jesus said in Mark love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength you know what's interesting about these four words is that they all have a sense of all of our being so it is interesting that all have a little bit of nuance, and for time's sake, I'm not going to dive into each one. It could be a very interesting study, actually, to, to ponder and reflect on why does Jesus use those four words and how in Hebrew those words mean something different. But really what they all mean is with everything. Like, that, that's what they're all intentionally showing something about all of it. So, so even though they're nuanced, simply with all your heart is with all your essence. The center of who you are with all your mind is with all you think about. With all your soul means with all your physical existence, with all your strength. The word that the Hebrew uses is muchness. It's like with every moment you're doing this. And so there's this tie-in to the language here where he's saying all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that just means everything. That's what it means to give God, to follow God, to, to love God is with anything and everything that is about you, you're giving that to God. The word here that Jesus says is love, he's saying it's from the source as opposed to by the means of. So we're commanded to love from the heart, from the soul, from the mind, from our strength. And there's a small word that really is what Jesus could have said to simplify it all. And he says it over and over and over. And sometimes we skip it, but it's this. Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all. I had a teacher at Bible school who said this phrase, and I will never forget it. You know, sometimes we talk about what does the Greek, because the all New Testament was written in Greek, and so we're translating it, and sometimes we're asking these questions like, well, what do these words mean? Because sometimes we don't totally understand them. Like the word love, there's many different words for love in the Greek language, and what exactly is it? And I'll never forget it when he stood before us one day in class, and he said, class, do you know what the Greek word all means? It means all. And we we're like, oh, yeah, that's really deep. Yeah, it's really deep. But that's what it means. Jesus could have said, what's the greatest thing? To love the Lord your God with all. To love the Lord your God with all. What a powerful thing to say. All, everything, in, all completely, totally, how do we love God with all? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it was just this last break, but I was just struck by Jesus saying, this is the greatest thing. And then although I pray and read, I repent, I obey, I give thanks, I worship I think for me, sometimes it's about doing those things as an end and not using those things as a way to love God. And so 
where I think we need to start this year is just there, in asking and pondering what does it actually mean to love God. Jonathan Edwards, in a very profound and famous sermon on loving God, he, he said this, A true love to God must begin with a delight in his holiness and not a delight in any other attribute, for no other attribute is truly lovely without this, and no otherwise than as it derives its loveliness from this. And what he's saying here is he's actually calling us to love God in his essence, that what it means to love God is to know him for who he is, and so oftentimes we think about loving God is doing all these things, which it's a part of it. We're not separating it, but we're asking, what is the point of these things? I'm doing these things. Why? So that I can love God, which means understanding, knowing the essence of who he is. And so why does he say that we delight in his holiness, which means his perfection, that that really sets the stage for us in how we love God. Well, the more we learn about who God is, the more we will understand his perfection. When you start thinking about God, think about this. There is nothing in God that is not enjoyable and perfect. When we learn to love God, what's happening in us is we're starting to see that we're loving God because he's perfectly, he's holy. That's what it means. He's perfectly enjoyable and enjoyably perfect. So when we're in love with somebody or something, what do we do? We think about the object. If you love someone, you think about them. If you love something, you think about it. The one who loves God is ravished with and transported into the contemplation of him. So my challenge to you today, church, is simple. It's to discover or be reminded of or enter into the following of what Jesus says is the greatest command, and that is to love God and think on him, to give all of our beings to the pursuit of loving him. Practically, a simple application, perhaps you would consider joining me this month or these next few weeks in reading the book of 1 John. It's a five-chapter book that John wrote where the incredible statement was made that God is love. And he unpacks and reflects on the idea of loving God and loving others in powerful and dramatic ways. And so my challenge to you this month is to consider reading one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, and just taking your time to ponder and reflect on God and loving him. Now, I know you guys, and I know our church, and I know a lot of you right now are thinking, Brian, that's going to mess up my read the Bible in a year plan that I just started. <laughs> but I wonder, and I'm glad some of you have decided to do that, 
if our problem is that we use our reading plans to accomplish something instead of wanting to meet someone. You know, it's interesting. Mark ends this section with a profound and beautiful picture of all-encompassing love. And I thought I would just read it as a help for us in what it looks like for someone to love the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to them, and he said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. For Jesus, the value of a gift is not the amount given, but the allness of the person that's giving it. The reason so many of us struggle to love God with everything is frankly, we are afraid to lose control. And this woman, and the woman that we sang about, that we'll read in a couple weeks here, that poured all of her ointment on the feet of Jesus are pictures for us of people who love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength. And it is impossible for me to not end and conclude this sermon by asking you to just blindly love God. You see, what's interesting about Scripture is that there's a truth that we have all heard and know deeply, but we need to be reminded of in this moment, and that is this. When God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, we often gloss over the reality of what he said to the readers of these Ten Commandments back in that day. And he started by saying something that we cannot forget, and it is this. In Exodus chapter 20, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And what God is saying to the Israelites is, he said, I saved you first. I I loved you first. Before you ever did anything that I asked of you, I loved you by saving you. The word or the phrase or the verse that maybe you've heard before out of 1 John chapter 4, 19 is this. We're loved because he first loved us, right? We love, why do we love? Because he loved us first. 
God isn't asking us to blindly love him. He wants us to be overwhelmed at the crazy love that he has lavished upon us and invites us then to find joy and happiness and completeness in responding by loving him. And how did he love us first? Well, the widow, she figuratively gave her life away, but Jesus literally gave his life away for you and for me. He gave up complete control of his life for you and for me. So my friends, may the reality of what Jesus did seep into our hearts this year so that we might love him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength and all of our soul. And that might lead us to loving him every day, everywhere, and in everything. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess how easy it is for us to forget the simplicity of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so in this moment, we just want to offer our love to you. Might we be profoundly moved by how deeply you loved us so that we might love you with all. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.